so when I talked about growing up and being the that little kid, right, that it was always the smallest kid in class, and um, I think learning to get along with everybody at an early age, I think it served me well, right? I believe I learned some skills to kind of walk into a room and sit down with people and spend a couple minutes and understand a little bit about them, and then not, and, and to be blunt, not in a, um, a manipulative fashion, just maybe understand how to relate to them. If I can find something we have in common to relate to, then we're instantly going to be more likely to have a better relationship, right? That was Paul Beltzow, Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Salesforce. Prior to his time at the company, he's held a variety of roles, including Chief Information Officer for the state of Indiana. Surprisingly, Paul wasn't always in a corporate environment and actually started his life as an engineman in the U.S. Navy. And off-camera, Paul actually mentioned how he would like to share a story or an anecdote from his time there where he was, unknowingly, living with a murderer. So first and foremost, thank you, Paul, for taking the time out of your day. I'm sure we're all in for an incredible episode. Well, thanks so much for having me here today. Uh, it's a pleasure It's a pleasure to, to do this, and uh, hopefully some of the insights I have from my life uh, are helpful to others. Um, so yeah, this is a unique story, and, and to be honest, I, I, I find ways to weave it in because it's such an interesting one. So um, I'm going to rewind back to 2013, um, and it was actually October. Um, I remember this because it was kind of a shocking time uh, for me when I found out about this, but um, uh, I put my daughter to bed. Um, at the time, she was only seven, right? Put her to bed, come in. Uh, every night, my wife loves to watch Investigation Discovery, all those cold case shows, right? I always, I feel like someday she may be planning her way to get rid of me when she's finally tired of me. <laughs> um, usually, I just go right to sleep and let her watch TV. But I said, well, I saw Navy Base New London, Connecticut, which I was stationed there during my time in the Navy. So I said, well, maybe I'll stay up and watch this one, right? Might see a few places I know or, you know, something interesting. Um, so as the story goes... Uh, it actually rewinds back all the way back to 1974. Um, and there was a murder in the Tampa, Florida area of a 16, 17 year old girl. Um, it was pretty brutal um, and not, not to be too graphic, right? Um, uh, she was almost tortured in the way she was murdered, right? And then she ended up dying because concrete blocks were tied to her feet and she was dropped in a pond. So oh, wow. pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty sick, right? Um, so fast forward um, to 1994, um, the investigators, you know, they'd never uncovered anything up until, up until then, but the parents had found a notebook that referenced some boy named Jim, and there was a kid named Jim in the neighborhood that they talked to, you know, right after her death originally, um, but there hadn't been anything to go on, so right, they had no leads. Well, so they, they found out uh, this boy, now obviously a man, was uh was serving in the navy he was stationed in navy base new london um and they also at the time when they found the body they found a hair on her that wasn't hers but they couldn't do dna on hair in the early 70s right mm -hmm. and at the point you know this is the 90s they were you know they were well within the capabilities to do uh dna on hair well so um they went to they went to new london right um they questioned the guy they took a hair sample the dna matched right uh mm -hmm. And he eventually confessed after however many hours of interrogation, right? Um, so up until now, everything's been the, the reenactment. If you've ever watched any of these shows, you know, like they do a reenactment. Well, at this point, they really hadn't mentioned his last name. And then they jumped to uh, the actual courtroom where, you know, they're, he's, he's sitting there and they've got video cameras in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that guy was my roommate for a year. I lived with him off base in an apartment um, and we actually went around a few different times. He backed into my car and didn't want to pay for it. Ran up a, a that was way back when you actually had a phone that was on the wall. Right. Oh, wow. Archaic times. <laughs> Archaic times. Um, nobody even like who has a home phone anymore. Um, and uh, he ran up a big phone bill and didn't want to pay it. And I'm actually, I mean, you, you, you probably can't tell from this, but I'm a, a, a relatively short little guy. Right. And, uh, he probably had a good foot on me and I remember us going around and he finally paid for those things. But now I'm like, was he over my bed with an ax thinking, well, 
if I do something to him, right? Like, is he? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> right. Is he, are they going to figure out it was me? Right. Like, you know, that's kind of all these things that are going through my mind. Um, so there is my unique story. I've used it as an icebreaker in a lot of situations, but uh, that's my kind of brush with evil, right? The guy's in jail now in Florida um, for until I think 2023, not that I'm, I'm watching, but you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that yeah that's kind of my my brush with evil right like so you never know he was actually a really quiet guy um I will tell you I was always pretty nice to him a lot of the guys on the boat picked on him because he was because he was so quiet right mm. um so maybe that's why I survived I don't know right yeah you were his favorite. Um, although <laughs> I've had a few friends ask me is it that or is it because you helped him bury bodies and questionable (laughs) questionable right so yeah so there's my interesting story and uh it was you know on cold case investigation discovery so there there you go yeah that's awesome well i guess on a much more lighthearted note i would love for you to walk me through the series of events that have led you to where you are today within your career right so wow so let me start you know a uh, young man grew up in, you know, Southern Indiana, a rural town, right? Really small town, uh, working class parents. My mom was a nurse. Uh, my dad was a pipe fitter welder, um, you know, his whole life. Uh, went off to, you know, went off to Purdue University. Um, actually, uh, Paul wasn't prepared for that, right? Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> right? Not to, to talk about myself in the third person. Paul wasn't prepared for that. Uh, Bit of a shock, great place, went for two years, uh, realized I, w- I wasn't focused enough to put the time in and study, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I'd never, never had to study in high school, and I got to college, and it was just culture shock for me, and I wasn't ready. Probably spent a little too much time enjoying myself and not enough time studying, right? Um, so I said, you know what, maybe I should go to the Navy. My dad had been serving the Navy, my grandfather let's go do that, 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 you know, let's figure out, um, let's figure out what we want to do. Right. So I signed up for six years right off the bat, which by the way is a, wow. Is a, <laughs> yeah. Big commitment. Um, way to dip the toe in before you jump right, off. <laughs> way to dip the toe in. No two years, no four years. I'm going for six. Right. Um, maybe not my best judgment, but the time in the Navy served me well. Um, I learned a lot of things, obviously grew up, right. Um, got to see some other countries, right? Which is phenomenal. Got to, um, station with a murderer, got to live with a murderer, right? Um, I was actually stationed in Panama, uh, as my last duty station and I met my wife there. Right. And my first son, yeah, our first son was born there. Um, great kid. Um, you know, and my oldest, he's, he literally is just finishing college now and, uh, he's, he's hopefully off to dental school, right? We'll see soon. He's, He's got interviews coming up soon. So, um, I, you know, we're hopeful, uh, everything will go well there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my background, how I got up to that point. I got out of the Navy and said, you know, it was good. That was great time. I always loved computers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a time when, you know, <clears throat> wow, the eighties, right. You know, uh, Vic twenties, Commodore 64s, you know, nobody <laughs> had a cell phone, except if you did, it was this giant thing that you only saw on TV, right? That they yeah. carry in Miami Vice or something like that. Not to use any <laughs> old 80s references, but um, so I was like, you know, I love computers. I want to get back into that. I had a technical aptitude for it. I do feel like that's something you're, you, you know, if you are wired in that way or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a job. I was lucky enough to get a job for a company that does insurance software for small insurance uh, companies and learned a lot there, um, you know, working on a variety of products. Um, after, after my first six months, um, I'd grown a ton, but they're like, hey, Paul, um, we're gonna close the Indianapolis office, but if you'd like to move with us to Iowa, um, we'd love to have you, right? And we'll, you know, help you move. And I was like, ah, I don't see that, right? Like, I'm, this is home for me, I wanna stay here. Um, so I moved on to another job um, in the insurance industry with another, with an actual insurance company that provided uh, health and life insurance. Um, worked there for a while until I got um, what I thought at that age was my dream job uh, for EDS, electronic data systems, right? If, if you've heard of them, they're now, they're actually now a division of HP. Um, so 
at the time, I mean, that, that was like, you got one of those jobs. It was like working at, you know, EDS, IBM, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Deloitte, right. It's that kind of a career maker. So I went there for a couple years. Um, I, I really learned IT inside and out, right? Infrastructure, systems administration, um, you know, managed, managed a, a huge environment for a large customer um, at, at all levels. Um, and I learned how to interact with the business, right? Um, uh, next step from there was uh, I, left, uh, I left with some friends of mine who started their own consulting business. Oh, um, that was that was interesting we did great um by the second year there were 10 of us we did 2 million in business which is pretty pretty good wow that's impressive yeah Uh, and and this would have been um early 2000s right so you know 2 million was was even more then it's like Um, 1 billion with inflation these days (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. that might be a a stretch but yeah it's 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 a little bit more yeah definitely (laughs) um but we felt pretty good about where we were at we were all good tight-knit group of friends. Um, the, the gentlemen who were owners who were friends of mine, they had a bit of a falling out. Um, learned a few lessons there uh, about, you know, going into business with friends, right? There's negatives and positives. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I went off on my own, right? I did that for, um, I did that for about three years. Um, it was great. Um, but the problem was I actually had one customer who kept me so busy that, um, I didn't have time to grow the business, right? Um, and I, so I wasn't really prepared for that. So uh, I, I was like, you know what? I need to go back to a consulting company. Um, so at that point, I moved to another a small local boutique consulting firm here in Indianapolis. Um, and this is where my career starts to get interesting, right? I worked, I worked with a, a customer they had here that was a Japanese manufacturing company. And um, that was a unique experience, right? Like the, my last international experience had been in Latin America. Um, and, and I will um, add to that. Um, I learned Spanish when I was there. Um, most people would say I learned it cause I, I was in love with my wife. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So it's amazing how those things incentivize you to, to, you know, learn languages and become a part of the culture. Yeah. Um, and, and to this day, right. I still, uh, I still uh, carry that with me. So that's actually been a huge help to speak a second language, something that I think, uh, I think it would be good if more people, you know, had more experience in that to understand people, um, not to jump back in history a little bit uh, again, but um, if people, if people have lived in another country and they um, have learned the language and understand that, you know, when you come out of the U.S., right, because we live in a little bit of a bubble, um, sure. and, and you you realize those people aren't any different than we are. They want their kids to have a better life than them. They want a roof over their head. You know, they want, you know, food and all, all the things that everybody yeah. here wants, right? It's this it's whole just, collective human experience, right? It's the whole, co- exactly. You're, you're spot on. And I don't, you know, coming out of, and I'm digressing a little bit from my career. No, no. Here. Going so, loving it. Um, <laughs> um I think the benefit um, to me was I grew as a person because here I lived in this rural community with no diversity, right? And I got to see a whole other world. And I'll be honest, if if you don't speak the language and you go to another country, a lot of times you're always wondering when you first get there, like, are they talking about me? You know, the one gringo, right? That sticks out <laughs> for them, right? And uh, no, they're going about their everyday business, right? People mm-hmm. don't, you just, you don't think about it. It's just, you know, because we live in this bubble a little bit in the United States. Right. For sure. Um, you know, so it was a unique experience. I learned so much. I love, I love my family there. I love that country. Um, we go back and visit every other year. My wife, a lot of times will go every year. Um, but <laughs> my job doesn't always permit that. Right. You know, yeah, I you sure. get a couple of weeks a year. Um, and you know, I, things you got to do here. Um, so anyway, I, I digress a little bit with that, but I, I think it's important um, and I probably should have iterated that sooner, how, how much that changed my life, right? It opened up everything. Um, I understood things from a whole different perspective. It grew, I grew, right? I grew a lot mm-hmm. as a person. Um, so uh, I've now, and now to remember where I left off. Um, from that point, I, you know, I was working at a small boutique consulting company. Um, I was working... They had me at a Japanese manufacturer. I did an e- email migrations because email was one of my specialties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's still around. 
people don't, you know, it's not the go-to thing anymore, right? So that probably dates me a little bit. Um, but I've done a lot of things around email migrations and consolidation. So if you acquire a company, right, and you bring them into your fold, somebody's got to bring those systems together, right? So I've done a lot of work on that. And um, someone else in our company reached out to me and said, hey, I heard you've done a lot of these email migrations, right? Um, they're pretty challenging. We, we, we need to do one at the state of Indiana. You want to come in and talk to us about it? And I was like, well, sure. Um, and it was, it was a good conversation, great guy. And, and I'll, I'll probably talk about him a little bit uh, later because we're still dear friends to this day. Um, he's like, well, you know, people recommend you highly. They say you do good work. Um, what do you know about, you know, moving Novell group wise, you know, not to call out individual products, but to move that to Microsoft exchange. And I go, well, I've done Lotus Notes to exchange. I can spell group wise. Right. Um, and he's like, good enough. Right. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'll figure it out. We'll figure, you know, I, I know how to Google, right. I can figure it out. Um, so I came on board, uh, and consolidated. Basically my job was to lead the consolidation team that, under then governor Mitch Daniels um, in Indiana uh, brought all the infrastructure into one entity. Cause prior to that, every agency did their own thing. So 30, think 30,000 employees, but all cut up into different sections and everybody had their own systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rather than a unified system. So it gave me a unique new enterprise experience. Right. Um, and after about two years, they're like, Hey, you want to be an employee along with the guy who originally hired me? And he's like, come on, we'll go do this for a few years. And I was like, be a government employee. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think I want to be a government employee. Right? <laughs> I don't know about can public just, sector. <laughs> right, I don't know about public sector. I was like, can we just do that a couple of years? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll only do it a couple of years and then we're out, right? So um, this would have been 2006, right? <laughs> so in, in 2006, I came on board. Um, I ended up leading uh, the desktop and the desktop support team. Um, and kind of the infrastructure that goes around that. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing I learned from that, having been a server administrator, you kind of tend to get into this bucket that, you know, we're the smartest guys, right? You know, you know, we, we know more. And it actually, I grew a little bit from that experience as well, because um, I had, I'd been a desktop tech, right? I even been a help desk guy. I went through every level, but mm -hmm. you know, you, when you get away from that, you tend to get isolated from it, if that makes sense. For sure. And it reminded me, wow, these guys are where the rubber meets the road. Come on, Paul, you've done that. That's the hardest job because guess what? When a customer has a problem, you're the guy who has to stand in front of them and not only fix it, or if you can't fix it because it's something out of your hands, you have to try and make them happy, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a customer service thing. That's the toughest position to be in. And sometimes you can't fix every problem. Um, and they were just an amazing group of guys. They delivered, guys and gals, right? I should be clear. Um, they delivered on every level. Um, the customers were always happy with them, right? Um, anyway, so that guy who'd originally drug me into this whole thing, um, <laughs> at this, by this point, he, was, he became CIO, right? He was CIO yeah. under Governor Daniels. And at the end of the Daniels administration, honestly, he and I both had jobs lined up to go somewhere else, right? We were like, okay, our ride's done. And he's like, hey, they talked to me, and you know I'm leaving do you want to be the CIO for Pence? And I was like, is that a trick question? Right. Or, <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Right. Like, yeah, I'm game for giving that a try. And, um, I, I feel like that might've actually been the easiest interview I ever had. And the reason I would say that is because I already had this other job lined up. And so I just went in relaxed cause there's no pressure. Right. If yeah, I don't get nothing this to lose, Right. If I don't get this big gig, well, you know what? I don't get this big gig. Right. Um, but I got it. I think maybe because I was so relaxed. Right. And I'd been there at that point. This was 2012. You know, I'd been there six years plus two years as a consultant. I knew the environment. I knew the people. I knew, you know, the systems. Um, so in 2013, along with the inauguration, I came in. Um, I came in with Governor Pence, or then Governor Pence, now Vice President Pence, right? Which mm -hmm. so it's a so it's a strange world, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I would tell you, you know, I, I I always knew he would go on to bigger things. I just, you know, you, you just never know how fast, right? Mm -hmm. So he went from being Governor of Indiana um, to Vice President. So um, you know, that's that's amazing for him. Um, but 
I still remember that inauguration too. So we did it on the Indiana Capitol steps and I, it felt like the coldest day of my life because it was like, Oh yeah, it was like 10 degrees and we're all huddled up and uh, we're all on the Capitol steps and the wind's mm-hmm. blowing through and it's freezing. Right. And it's, I think it was about an hour. It felt like six, right. Just because <laughs> it's so cold and everybody's in a suit. Right. And if, even if you've got a, you know, an overcoat on, it was really it gets chilly. Right. Yeah. It was an, it, I mean, don't be me wrong. It was an amazing event to be there for part of that. But um, I still was actually glad to be the, the short guy. Cause I'm like a whole total of five foot three and I was <laughs> in the middle of a pack and I was like, well, at least these guys are all, these bigger guys are all a windbreak for me. Right. Like that was the, <laughs> that was the positive. So um, I came in, right. I'd already had a lot of experience. Um, the guy before me done amazing things. Right. Mm-hmm. I felt like we had, all all the base services kind of like we're down right we knew how to keep the email up we knew how to manage the desktops right all the all the infrastructure things you do we knew how to run the data center um i was like i want to do something different in it right like what's my thing that we can change something or make it better this is my shot right that is exactly how i felt this is my shot to change i won't say change the world but maybe change lives somehow for hoosiers better right Mm -hmm. So I want to say it was maybe my second cabinet meeting, right? Um, and uh, a great guy, Dr. Bill Van Ness, he's talking about Indiana has this challenge with infant mortality, right? We're one of the worst states in the country. I think we're 47th or 48th in ranking. <clears throat> and um, Bill's a good guy. We'd already had lunch a few times, gotten to know each other. And he, we hadn't really talked about that. And he's like, look, I want to change it. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. This is my priority. This is what we're going to do. And he came in with all this passion, right? So I grabbed Bill afterwards and I said, hey, Bill, let's, uh, I think, I, I think I got an idea. I think we were, I, we, we were looking at some big data stuff, right? And it mm-hmm. was back then, this was 13, right? So it was really early in the big data curve, right? Yeah, As things sure. mature, right? Um, it's a whole different place now. <clears throat> I said, I got kind of a crazy idea on this and I think I can get the funding for it what if I got data from all these different agencies and, you know, we try and figure out what the root causes are and where we can best put our efforts to solve this problem. Yeah. And he's like, I love that. Right. Cause I took on a business use case, right? Like, so if there's a lesson <laughs> from this, by the way, <clears throat> find out what the business guys need. If you're an IT guy, give the business guys, find their biggest problem or one of their biggest problems and go try and help them solve it right? Because it will win you allies, right? When you want to do something that maybe isn't as popular, but it's important, right? For the, mm-hmm. whether it be for business or IT in general. Um, <clears throat> so we move forward, uh, getting, I, I, I know, I, you know, you ever hear these conspiracy theories that happen about, oh, the government's planning on doing this, and that, <laughs> right? Um, I got to tell you, no, but no, anybody who's working government would tell you there's no way that's true because, <laughs> Nobody wants to share on anything. We're all, <laughs> we're all in our own silo. We don't talk to each other. There's um, no way. There's, there's no way. There's no way there's a conspiracy <laughs> theory going on. Um, but on this particular topic, it was easy to get people to share. Well, I won't say easy. There were still challenges, right? We had to overcome privacy, um, data security regulations, and do all the right things. Because also, like, it's a risk, right? If, if I'm going to take all this data and put it together somewhere, um, it's a gold mine for somebody who wants it for a bad guy. Right. So we, I mean, we even built a room um, that was secure that had video cameras watched. So when the data scientists went in, they couldn't take the things out. Like they had to go in and they were watched and they had to pass all these, you know, data, data, they had to pass security checks and data. Um, you know, they had to go through data training on here's how you protect KIPA. Here's how you protect FTI, mm-hmm. right? Here's how you protect FERPA. Um, because we were merging all these data sets together. Yeah. Um, but in fairness, who wants to say no to saving babies, right? Like that's just something politically. Um, and the governor was completely on board, right? Governor Pence was amazing. He sat in a cabinet meeting, I remember, and he said, hey, everybody needs to help Paul and, and Bill with this. Like mm-hmm. this is a good effort. All right? hands on deck type of. All hands on deck. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to save, save babies, right? Um, and so it was, it, it was something that I think I had the most rewarding 
like time I've ever had in IT um, because we can make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like sure. I wasn't just keeping the email server up. I was making a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, awesome. and it's unique because it actually touched me a little bit personally, right? And maybe part of the reason I grabbed onto this one is, so after our first son, um, amazing, amazing kid, he's, he's 22 now. And we were, we were talking a little bit about that before we started. He's getting ready to graduate college himself. And um, uh, we had, you know, we had three where we, you know, my wife, she gets 12 weeks and we lost And I don't mind telling the story because if it helps others, right. I mean, it's, it's personal, but, and then we had this amazing doctor who figured out that my wife had a blood clotting disorder and right. And then, um, then we ended up having two more amazing kids who I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I like that was so rewarding to me. Right. Yeah. So um, I, other people, if this can help someone else, you know, overcome their problem, right. If we can figure out what the cause is. Wow. Right. If you save one baby, it was worth it. I don't care what you spent. Yeah. Um, so let me give you some cool things that came out of that. I I'm digressing a little bit on my career, but I feel like this was such a turning point in my oh, career. This is amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we found out, and, and it's commonly known now because a lot of other people have done infant mortality studies. And it, even then it was known, but it wasn't known to be the, the number one cause. The cause, yeah. Yeah, the root cause. Um, the number one thing we could go after was prenatal visits. And the data showed if we could get a mother to 10 prenatal visits, we maximize the chance of a successful pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. Of that baby being born healthy. <clears throat> now, there were actually some unique data points that came out of that as well. You know, like if they got to 15 or more, it actually, the curve went down. And the reason going to 15 visits, and that's because at that point, they're usually seeing the doctor because there's or, a genetic uh, there's disorder. Some issue, right? Yeah, there's some issue that's either medical science isn't able to solve or, or something unique has happened that it's just, it's, it's not something within our, in our, our power to resolve. Um, as well as a cool data point that, you know, you know, here I was, the guy saying, if we spend a million dollars and it saves a baby, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, we found that Medicaid, which a, a lot of these mothers were <laughs> on, right, on these high-risk pregnancies, on a high percentage, I think 98% of mothers were on Medicaid, right? Yeah. And, and to kind of, <clears throat> I know everybody doesn't know all the government terms, Medicaid is what you're on if you're in a low income, you know, you know, you, know, you have challenges fiscally, um, and that's kind of government-assisted health insurance. Um, it, it, not everybody knows, so that's why I clarify, right? Yeah, we for have, sure. Yeah. You know, so um, we found out 98% of these mothers qualified for that, right, in these high-risk categories. Um, so they could get those prenatal visits, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we were able to target advertising and target services to those mothers, right? Like we found the areas. So in the past, like if we had ad dollars to get out a prenatal campaign, we would- We just push them everywhere. We pushed them everywhere. We were spreading the peanut butter equally across the whole sandwich, right? Yeah. And um, in this case, no, we put it where it was most needed. And then not only that, we did, we found out um, part of the problem was not just, hey, do I have the insurance to pay for the visit? It was, do I know a doctor who's near me? Um, do my kids have yeah. daycare? Right, it's my kids already at that point, right? Right, it's accessibility. Do I have transportation? Um, is the doctor available after hours because I work and I, you know, I have to get to work during those times? Mm -hmm. So we built, you know, we built an app that connected mothers with those services, right? We did outreach, um, you know, and and our numbers started to go down, right? Um, but the the thing on that, to be fair, is that's something you can't measure you know, two days later, right? It's a year, yeah. it's a, you know, it's a nine month window. Um, so I would say that, wow, that's, <clears throat> that's the one thing in my career I will never regret. I will, you know, I, I, I learned some things on how I could have got to the end faster, mm -hmm. right? But that's just like anything else. Now, yeah. you know, if I go after something, um, I, I've learned those lessons, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so, at the end of the governor's third year, an opportunity came to me and it was unique at that time um, to go to a company uh, that was doing healthcare real estate, but they were going into healthcare operations as well. And so this was <clears throat> senior care, right? Um, oh. Yeah. So what was unique to me about that was um, a lot of these senior care facilities you see are like, it's not a place you'd want to stay or visit, right? Like it's just, 
and these are the people you know who who've raised us. Who's like you want to put them somewhere where they're going to be safe, right? If you can't have them in your own home because they have these medical conditions or whatever, you want to give them the best care possible, right? For sure. <clears throat> so they were trying to transform that industry, and I was their hundredth employee, right? Like, and they were things were going great. They'd done so much on that on the real estate side, and now they're like, hey, we can run operations better. And the it was a privately held company. The owner is a great guy. He just had a vision. Um, so I went there and part of what drove that is um, my mother was diagnosed with dementia um, and Sorry. I saw an opportunity to like make a difference in that sector. For right? sure. So that, you know, that, here's another event in my life that drove me, I would say just kind of like the infant mortality drove me to go try and make a difference somewhere. Um, we did some amazing things, sadly enough. We got out over our skis a little far trying to get ahead of things and what the funding would do. Um, so, <clears throat> gosh, um, so this would have been 2018 at this point. I was like the ninth employee left and finally they're like, you know, that's it. So I, uh, I went, uh, that, that was a tough one on me because I love that company. I love the culture. I love the people. Some of the best people I've ever worked with. Um, and so I went back to government, went to economic development in Indiana, right? <clears throat> um, where I served as the CTO there. Um, I was able to make a lot of good stuff happen. Um, I knew it was a, probably a short-term stop for me, right? Because I really wanted to go back to the commercial sector, private sector. And um, at that point, um, my successor in Indiana as the state CIO and the, um, and in a weird sort of way, my successor, uh, a great guy as well, a dear friend. He left uh, to go to a not-for-profit um, because he kind of like me. He, you know, he wanted to. He wants to make a difference. Right? That impact, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and his is around teaching coding to to not only you know a younger generation, but also also adults wanting to like retool their skill set. So, oh, very, great guy, very great, important. yeah, great effort, right? Great guy. Um, can't say enough about him. Um, he was a way better CIO than I ever. <laughs> so, um, I went back and filled in, right. I, I knew long-term, I, I, I feel like I'd done that job. Right. Um, but I went back and filled in for a few months while they found his permanent replacement, helps like his permanent replacement. Great. Another great guy. Right. I feel like we, you know, Indiana's on stable and great footing with the, the individual who's there now. And I'm intentionally not mentioning people's names cause I don't want to, you know, I don't want them to feel weird about it. Right. I'll just, <laughs> although it's not like you can't Google the state CIO. Right. So, yeah. um, Anyway, so uh, I, I had an opportunity to come up with Salesforce. I knew it was coming, right? So I, I, you know, I'd done everything you need to do to ensure there's no ethical conflicts because I'd been talking to Salesforce for a bit. Um, and sale, because they have a unique culture and a give back and, you know, that I was like, wow, this is the kind of company I want to work at, right? I can do, I can do volunteer work. I can, I can, and I can do my, you know, my day job, right, that it helps pay the bills, but I can be part of another great company that's, that's trying to do the right thing. So that's, that's where I'm at now, right? Um, I am, uh, I run strategy for state and local government for the East region for Salesforce. And I will tell you, made an amazing decision. It's been nothing but a great company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I, I can't say enough great stuff about my first four and a half months there. Right. So yeah. that tells you how new I am. Um, so yeah, that's my career tra trajectory up till now. If uh, <laughs> in kind of a nutshell. Yeah, quite the nutshell. But uh, first of all, thank you so much for your transparency. Like me speaking completely personally, I definitely gained a lot from all that you've shared. You even talked about some of your hurdles, which is the next question. But I'd really like to dig in more about all those great people that you mentioned. So I was wondering if there are any individuals that you have in mind when it comes to being the most influential in terms of your career development, whether that be a colleague, an idol. I'll say there, there's been a lot of people that have been influential. Uh, strangely enough, the most influential was um, a gentleman I worked for in the Navy. Um, he was, he was, uh, my first boss when I served on shore duty in, in Connecticut with the, you know, with the killer. Um, <laughs> so he was our boss on the boat and, uh, he was our chief engineer and, uh, I'll never forget. Like he just taught me the value of teamwork and he taught me the value of a team, right. And mm -hmm. how leadership is being willing to do anything you ask your people to do, you better be willing to do it too. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like he had that, he had that uh, everybody's part of this team and I'm going to bring everybody up and I'm going to lift the boats. And I don't know, I, I like, it just influenced me forever. Like my leadership, don't get me wrong. I, I learned other things along the way, mm -hmm. but that is probably the most influential. Yeah. Um, as far as idols, um, I go back to a guy who's been dead for a really long time. I am a huge Nikola Tesla fan. Mm, wow. Uh, I, yeah. Very, I very a, long time. <laughs> right. I wrote, I, I wrote a, uh, a paper on him in college um, that I look back on and I'm like, and after I'd done the research to write the paper, I was like, and it was basically a professor there who influenced me um, who, who taught the history of science and technology. Right. And uh, like, I think I was going to start with doing my paper on um, Edison and then he's like, you should check this guy out. Right. And this was like the late eighties. Right. So, and so now, you know, because of the car and because of all the other things that have gone on, it's a more known name now, but at that time yeah. it just wasn't like most people would be like who, right. They just mm -hmm. didn't know everybody knew Edison. Right. But they didn't know Tesla. Um, <clears throat> and I was amazed, right. The things I found out. And so I was like, wow, this is the engineer of all engineers. Right. As yeah. a, you know, like, Founding this father of modern technology. Founding sure. father on so many fronts, right? Like everybody gives him credit for alternating current, but robotics, wireless, right? Like there's so many things that um, he did before everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. Automation, right? Like there's, there's a ton of stuff. So <clears throat> there you go. There's two influential people. There's a whole lot of other people along the way. Um, and I learned different things from them. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think those are probably, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the two, maybe the two biggest. Yeah. You touched a bit earlier on this topic when you were talking about your career. Uh, you talked about how you had maybe one client that took a lot of your time. I'm sure in today's modern work environment, it's very, very work intensive. So I was wondering how you managed to keep uh, a positive mental health and just a positive mental state when you're going through such uh, tasking environments sometimes. Wow. So I, I, I would say on that, um, pre-COVID, <laughs> right? Pre-COVID, um, it was, it was all about trying to have some sort of work-life balance, right? And sure. also understanding everything you're doing is for a greater cause, right? Like, um, in, in government, it was easy to see because I'm, I'm, you know, helping distribute services to citizens. Yeah. Um, you know, at Salesforce, we, you know, what I do is I'm helping, I'm once again, helping government try and do things that are important to, you know, ensuring safety during COVID times or, you know, helping get services out. Um, when I was at, you know, when I was at the senior care provider, um, you know, is trying to make a difference in that senior care. So you try and look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the balance, um, wow, it's just my family, right? Uh, my, my wife and kids uh, are everything to me, and uh, I I look at my kids as I need to I need to make life better for them, and yet try and teach them the lessons so they don't, don't make the same mistakes Dad did. Although they still, <laughs> as we talked about a little bit before the podcast, yeah. they still tend to make some of those right. Usually the best ones, and I'll tell on my son on this right. Antonio, the great kid, <laughs> but uh, and I'll call him out by name. I got no qualms about that. Antonio will be like, "Wow, Dad." you told me to handle it this way and I did this instead, you were right. And I'm like, yeah, buddy. Like, you know, I go, you know, I've, I've done a few of these things a few times, right? Or I have a little insight. Uh, he's a good kid though, right? So 50% um, of the time he listens to me, that's pretty good. I'll take hey, that. That's a pretty good rate. That's a pretty good rate. My I don't think I listen for that. I don't think I listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I listen to my dad 50% of the time, right? So um, in COVID times, you spend time with your family all the time yeah so now there's a little bit of a time we need a break from each other it's a it's almost <laughs> reversed right yeah. um because i can imagine you guys have the same thing going on right now we've got virtual learning and sometimes i'll be on a zoom call and i'll have uh one of my kids show up uh, usually the younger one the nine-year-old hey dad can you check my math for me and i'm like <laughs> I'm like, uh, I have to do some sort of off, uh, off screen here, hand gesture of, I will check your math later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, COVID times are a little more challenging. It's, it's hard to get a little separation, which everybody needs, but, um, we'll get through it. Right. We're in yeah. this together. And I guess, um, you talked a little 
a little bit about how you like to learn from your mistakes and you really value learning from your past mistakes and kind of learning from other people's mistakes as well. So you personally, how do you try and implement lifelong learning within your own life? Wow. So, um, gosh, on, on that one, I think I try and think back to when something similar has happened and just learn from it, right? Like yeah. Take those lessons and carry on. But I think you can always keep learning. So as I mentioned, like way back at the beginning of the podcast, um, I didn't finish college, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going back right now online to finish oh, awesome. my degree, right? So from a, I, that was a mistake, never corrected it. Um, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, there's a little story that goes with that. Part of the reason I probably didn't correct it. Um, there was an interview I went to, and I want to say this was maybe mid-90s with a, a company. And I went through like eight or nine interviews with different people. And the hiring manager's like, look, everybody says they want to hire you. Um, especially at the time because I was bilingual and they needed someone to support their Latin American um, work too. And I was like, I was, but they're like, the CFO's concerned because you don't have a college degree. And I was like, okay, well, so he'd like to meet with you. And I went in and met with this gentleman. And as I said, I won't mention the company or the name, right? Because I don't, you know, everybody makes mistakes and I, I like to think this was his. Yeah. Um, rather than give me a chance to talk, he basically said, go finish your degree and come back. And then we'll, then we'll, he didn't, he didn't even give me a chance to make my case. Um, so me being a stubborn young man at that point said, Oh no, now I'm going to make it without a degree. I'm going to do it just because going to prove you wrong because one guy, (laughs) one guy said you need to go get your degree. So, uh, I was stubborn about that for a lot of years and I feel like, I made it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But at this point, I'm like, you know what, Paul? Why didn't you do that? You should have been less stubborn. You should have been. You should have said, you know what? Maybe I'll take a lesson from this. Whether I feel like he approached it correctly or not, I would say I don't know. That's how I would approach it. But um, I should have handled it a little less stubbornly. Lesson learned, right? Lifelong lesson there. Yeah. For and sure. now I'm going back, and I'm relatively close to finishing. Um, although I will say wow, it's so much easier when you've like done all this stuff in real life, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like experience and who's teaching you, I'm assuming. (laughs) I I won't say that, right? I want to be fair, but um, from, especially in the IT classes, right? Where I'm going, um, I did have to go back and refresh my math memory a little bit because I did have to take a few math courses, but uh, the IT courses, I'm like, yep, been there, seen that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'm, it's not, I'm not learning anything relatively new new, right yeah um but you know what it actually has been kind of useful because i've refreshed my memory on things that honestly i never paid attention to because it wasn't my area right i learned some database things that i was like huh yeah amazing i mean you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but i was wondering whether it be within your current role at salesforce or more overarchingly where does paul find his sense of purpose and reason to wake up in the morning wow um I would always say my family's number one, mm-hmm. right? Like there's just something there. I just, um, yeah, I, my family's number one. Um, I think part of that's driven because so, so, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm willing to share some personal stuff just because I feel like it helps other people who maybe went through it. I, I will not pretend I had to, there's kids that have childhood so far worse than mine. Right. So I don't want to pretend I had a horrible childhood, but I was a child of divorce and, um, I would say it made me want to be a better parent and give my kids that like that um, that steady life, you know, that I didn't necessarily have during a certain period of time there. Mm-hmm. And my wife's the same way, right? So I feel like um, um, my kids had this stable environment that I wanted to get them, give them, and I think we're both driven by that. We want them to have this life. That's so that's my family perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and then on my work perspective, I would say it's because I'm still getting to work with government, right? And I'm getting to help them solve problems and um, that need to be solved, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because regardless of which side you're on, there's there's people in need and people that need services and government needs to deliver and they need to do it better and faster. And government, because of all the things around it is challenged with, with meeting those, right? Like everything, it's like anything else as scale grows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's hard to meet all those needs. So I feel like, I feel like that's it, right? Like helping, helping constituents, helping my fellow Hoosiers, um, helping people in other states, gosh. Um, and even, so I do a little work with a, a, a not-for-profit um, that, you know, I enjoy it. I've been on a few trips with them to El Salvador because they do a lot of work in El Salvador. That's awesome. Um, and I, you know, it, it really adjusts your mindset when you go out and you see people who don't even have clean drinking water, right? And yeah. they're living in puts a- into perspective. Puts things into perspective. I think um, it was an eye-opener for my son. We went his senior year of high school. He went with me. And he'd been to Panama many times and, you know, he'd seen some, uh, in Spanish we call it pobreza, right? But he hadn't seen it. He had never seen it to this level, right? Um, so, you know, we go out in some rural areas where people literally no clean drinking water. They're living in a hut made of sticks and mud, right? Like um, cooking on an open fire, right? Like he came back going, wow, dad, uh, when you tell me I got it pretty good, I didn't realize how, like, and I feel like that set him off on a good track for college because mm-hmm. I also didn't want him to fall in the same trap dad did. Cause I gave him, he's like, dad, why do you keep pounding? Freshman year is the most important kill it your <laughs> freshman year. And then after that, it's all downhill. And I'm like, buddy, trust me. I've been there. I've lived it. Yeah. Right. Get off on the right foot. And then after that, and, and it worked for him, right? He did well. Um, he did far better than dad ever did. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we're right up. He'll be graduating here in December. Although I, I don't think we're going to have a commencement. Right. So that's, that's kind of sad, but it's, you know, we'll all survive COVID, right. We'll get through it and uh, probably be stronger for it. So anyway, so there, there's what gets me up. Yeah. And I guess you've had a couple different, uh, career jumps, uh, especially in terms of the industries that you've been working in private sector, public sector, but was there a specific time or event that's made you decide that this was the field that you wanted to pursue? Wow. Um, I think when I came out of the Navy, I realized IT was what I should have been doing all along, right? Mm -hmm. I I actually kind of look back and go, wow, if I had maybe been a little more um, effective in college, we'll just call it that, when I went first time around. Effective. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use a nice term to refer to it. I won't be too degrading to myself. Um, you know, gosh, I wish I went to Silicon Valley because I would have been there in like 92, right? Yeah. Like I would have been there before the first .NET bubble burst, right? So uh, I don't know. I, I always had an aptitude for computers, right? When I was a kid, I would sit with my uh, uh, flashbacks to people right here who, who are from my generation um, with my... Um, old Atari 800 and like hooked up to my TV and be uh, writing in code, right? Like that's, that was what I was doing even back then, right? Of course it was all basic back then for the most part. Um, I wasn't ready for assembly at, you know, 12 years old, but um, <laughs> it was, it was a different, uh, it was a different time. Right. And I just, I always had that calling and I kind of missed following it. Right. I got there, right. It Eventually just took a few deters. Um, and it just called me back, right? I got out of the Navy and I go, what am I doing? Like computers are my thing, right? Yeah. Like, um, even to this day, if you were to come into, and my wife hates it, if you were to come into my office, you'd be like, dude, how many screens and computers and gadgets do you need? Like really? <laughs> <laughs> do you have like the mechanical keyboard set up and all that stuff? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over the top. My, wife, <laughs> my wife's always like, seriously, like, you got to put a check on that. I'm not letting you cut a PO for, I'm not letting you cut a purchase <laughs> order for anything else. So, oh man. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so I think I think it was probably when I came out of the Navy and I I realized why what am I doing? IT is my calling. Yeah, uh, and speaking more to IT more generally as an industry, what do you think are some of the biggest con- misconceptions about working in IT? Wow, um, I think there's a challenge now or a misconception about. Um, the social component, right? Like yeah. you, if you can't talk to the business, you're not going to really make headway. Um, and in fairness, IT has had a traditional habit and raise my hand, uh, guilty of it myself, um, of trying to think we know what's best for the business rather than trying to figure out what the business, the guys who actually do this every day, um, you know, what's the right solution for them, right? Mm-hmm. Go figure out the requirements, work with them, and by the way, don't forget, uh, 
user user interface, right? Like UI UX user, for sure. UI UI UI. Bring the users in early. Bring them in often. Ask them what they think. Tell them. Ask them to tell you why it won't work. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm a big proponent of design thinking. Right. I've done mm. uh, since I did that the first time. Some great people turned me on to that. I did some sessions with that. Like the the output is so much better when you listen to the end user, right? So, 100%. so I, I drifted a little bit off the question there, but I think the misconception is that you don't have to really necessarily work with the business. Um, and I, I think there's a social component, right? If you know how to do that, you'll be successful. If you can work with the business, you can succeed in any profession, but IT in particular. Yeah. And I guess considering that you have a much more technical background, uh, how has this impacted your work in a not so technical corporate environment? Wow. Uh, so it, I will say on that one, it's, it was a challenge to make the shift to a mm -hmm. business mindset, right? Um, because when you're so technical, you're just thinking about how do I get that solution and how do I get it installed and how do I deliver it, yeah, right? You're sure. not thinking about, well, wait a second, there's a whole business here that rotates around this thing, right? And not only do I have to meet my delivery point, but it has to work for them. It has to work within their schedule, right? Like, that's a tough paradigm when your head's down and you're like, I just want to solve this technical problem. Right. It, it took me a while to shift my mindset because now I'll be honest, what I do isn't really it and it hasn't been for a long time, probably since <clears throat> gosh, maybe like even before I was state CIO, maybe since 2010 or 2009, I'm a business guy. Right. Yeah. Like, and I've learned business. I've learned it on the fly. Right. Mm. Uh, Cause I didn't have a lot of that background, right? I'd, I'd worked in the private sector, right? But I hadn't, I hadn't necessarily been as involved in that side before because I was always just the guy delivering, flipping the switches and, and building the technical solution. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might've had to work with them to schedule it, right? But that's about it. <clears throat> so I would say I've actually been more on the business side since probably 2009, right? Mm. Customer interaction, uh, delivering on business, Man, I mean, you don't know how much time as a CIO, especially I spent looking at a graph telling me why the help desk did or didn't perform and where the hole was, right? Yeah. And and on budgets, wow, I I you know I, I still uh, it's it still almost makes me ill sometimes when I have to look at a budget, <laughs> <laughs> right? Not because it's not important, because oh. it's critically important. But it's usually painful because yeah. budgets don't seem to just magically grow, especially in government. They almost <laughs> always seem to get cut. Can you yeah. give us back 10% and, and in fairness in COVID times right now, it's tough, right? Yeah, you know, very so tough for every it's, industry. It's super tough. Yeah, yeah. So um, it actually drives you to be focused on ROI, right? Like right mm -hmm. now, a lot of what I look at is what's the return on investment from you know investing in our products. Mm -hmm. Um. Considering that there's kind of a drastically changing landscape in IT more specifically, you kind of touched on it super briefly with kind of like the big data trends. What kind of technical skills do you think will become valuable in the future? And what do you think students should acquire in order to stay competitive? <clears throat> so, wow. Um, obviously, I'm a fan of big data, right? Because I've, I've, I've got a lot of background in that, but more from the business side because I drove it. I didn't actually... I wasn't the smart math guy, the data scientist <laughs> to solve the problem. I always make the joke, right? Like you want somebody to do a percentage calculation for a budget in their head, I'm the guy. If you want somebody to actually figure out a really complex equation, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would tell you, I think data science is only gonna continue to grow, right? But I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. I would tell you, I think AI is already coming. Um, and it's already on the curve, but it's going to keep growing, right? We, mm -hmm. you, they're, they're, you will not lose out if you stay on AI. Um, I'm a bit of a fan of no-code, low-code, because I do think um, it, it may be where I work, but I will tell you I've realized um, no-code, low-code platforms can deliver usually 90 to 95% of, the product, uh, of, the, of what is needed in um, a customer's desire, right? So, like, if, if I take government as a whole and all the services they have to provide, and, I, and I'll just take it for the government sector, a no-code, low-code platform um, can fill almost every need 
rather than doing custom development, which is what government's done forever, right? We'll just go build a new app for that. And the problem with that is in four years, that app's outdated and somebody's got to rewrite it again and you got to go spend a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas no code, low code, right? Um, it's more of an administration. I mean, there's developer work, right? And you may have to wrap some custom code around it. <clears throat> um, but I would not underestimate the power of no code, low code. I believe it will, You, we could run 95% of our applications on no code, low code. Yeah. And I guess for those students listening without more of a CS background, I know no code, low code isn't the most popular term. So if you just talk about what that is and what that actually looks like, I'm sure. So obviously I work at Salesforce. So that is in, in most typical discussions, that is a CRM product. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's our core platform. That was another reason I was excited to go to Salesforce because I felt like, Hey, it's, it's, you know, it's the solution of the future and of now. Right. Like, yeah. so I mean, not to just get a commercial in for my company, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I did believe in it. And that's another piece of why I'm here. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think those, those are probably the key pieces. And then the one last one, which isn't really a technical skill, man, I don't underestimate the social interaction, right? I've reiterated mm, for sure. my kids, especially my oldest, right? Um, if you can't talk to people, doesn't matter how good you are technically, you're going to end up sitting in a cube, maybe coding something, but mm-hmm. you're, you're never going to be able to move up the ladder tip, typically to the top. I'm not going to tell you it never happens, um, but you will be challenged. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so social is important. And I feel like it's, well, now I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man right now, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, if your head's down in your phone and you're only interacting, you know, via this remote, uh, method, um, although we're all challenged with that now with COVID, right? Regardless, um, that socialization you get from being in person, right? You just can't get. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. So yeah, I, I think people need, and and honestly, um, I'm worried right now. I see all these young kids, right? I mean, if you're already in your 20s or even your late teens, you've already developed a certain level of social skills, right? But all these young kids, right? Even my nine-year-old. Um, the socialization they're losing at even a year is uh, exponentially like that, that grows, right? Like, 100%. so there's actually early a, on in their development, right? Exactly. So there's actually a book by Malcolm Gladwell and I'm spacing on the name of it. And it talks about, you know, it's 10, you know, it talks one of the things, you know, the 10,000 hours to master anything. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. You probably know what it is. Um, but it also talks through um, how, one example is a Canadian all-star hockey, right? And I'm going to digress a little bit here to, to explain why I'm really worried about kids now. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say that, because of COVID, right? Um, you know, if they started, if their birth date was before April, they had like a 90% better chance, and, and, and I could be off on the statistics, but this is just from memory, of actually being an all-star hockey player when they were an adult. And the reason is um, – even at a young age of four or five, when they'd start in hockey, um, one month of advantage on another kid is like a year, you know, it starts to multiply. Right. And those kids tend to get more attention. And then as they get more attention, because they've got a little more skill than the kid next to them, as the years go along, that compiles. Yeah. And for sure. in, right. Right. So, um, I worry about what COVID is going to do to that. Right. Sorry to get off on a little tangent, but, uh, I think it's important because there's a social interaction our kids are losing right now, doing everything this way mm-hmm. that, that uh, I, it, 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 we don't know the impacts yet, but I think it could potentially, um, you know, be a challenge for them, you know, 15 years down the road. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I guess uh, when everything is said and done in terms of your career, how do you want to be remembered and what is the legacy that you want to leave the world? Wow. So Pressing question, I know. <laughs> that is a tough one. Well, so if I'm remembered for anything, I want to say from a work perspective, it's um, for trying to make a difference, right, in some mm-hmm. areas, right? Not just make IT run, but, you know, infant mortality or senior care or whatever the, you know, whatever my next challenge is, right? Because I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm probably going to go after something else, right? I, um, you know, even now I, I would tell you, I'm working with some amazing people and we know these COVID challenges I was just talking about, right. We're talking every day about how can we find ways to solve that? Right. How can mm-hmm. we you know, try and we know it's going to be a problem. Um, 
So from a work perspective that, um, I'll be honest, I've been trying to think about it. I've thought about doing like a, because of all this zoom stuff, I've thought about doing a video log for my kids. So someday oh, when I put away my kids and my grandpa <laughs> can watch that and be like, Oh, grandpa. I always wonder what grandpa was like before he was old. Right. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> or wait, really old, right. Before he was really old. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, and, and I've been trying hard to think about, you know, what would I say to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I think I just want to remember, be remembered on that side as a, a good dad who cared about him and wanted the best for him. And, you know, uh, you know, friends and neighbors think about you in a positive light. And um, lots of people show up at your funeral because they think you're an okay guy, not because they feel like they're, they have to, <laughs> <laughs> right? <clears throat> Sorry, that's a little morbid, but... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not the least morbid thing we've talked about so far. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully the killer's not involved in that death. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess if you could identify a few characteristics that have made you so successful, uh, what would they be? Wow. Um, so when I talked about growing up and being the, that little kid, right. That it was always the smallest kid in class and, um, I think learning to get along with everybody at an early age, I think it served me well, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I believe I learned some skills to kind of walk into a room and sit down with people and spend a couple minutes and understand a little bit about them. And then not, and, and to be blunt, not in a, um, a manipulative fashion, just maybe understand how to relate to them. Right. And, and mm -hmm. cause I don't want to, I, 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 I want to be clear. I don't think of it as manipulation. I think of it as if I can find something we have in common to relate to, then we're instantly going to be more likely to have a better relationship. Right. 100%, I agree. Right? Um, my wife would tell me, why don't I use that with her? Because there's so <laughs> many things in common <laughs> that we don't, uh, that were, she's like, sometimes she's like, well, how, how did we end up together? Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, you're three kids deep. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it too late out. now. She's stuck with me unless she gets that guy when he gets out of prison. So. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Maybe she'll have him take care of me. You know, oh, man. She watch that cold case with me. So she knows she's studying. <laughs> and I guess just to close things off before we end off on a much more casual note, if you could give your younger self, mini Paul, some advice, what would it be? Buy Apple stock at $3 a share in 97. <laughs> Amazon stock at $2 a share and 99. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Then you'd just be done. You'd be done by now. Um, uh, wow. If I could give him some advice. Um, it depends on the age I'd show up, but let's say I was a teenager. Let's go with that. Right. I yeah. think I would have told him to, uh, wow, this would be tough. So I would have liked to tell him to, to stick with college. Mm -hmm. But if I went back and changed my trajectory, um, wouldn't be with my wife. Probably wouldn't have met her if I didn't join the Navy. The odds of me going to Panama are pretty slim. I, I would have to lay my younger self out a pretty clear path. Finish college, take a trip to Panama. Here's the address you go to. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah, that would, that's a tough one. If it's anything, it's probably finish college, stick with it, understand there's a bigger play, you know, a, a bigger um, – a bigger thing to your future there. Right. I think my trajectory probably would have been a little faster, mm -hmm. but I got there anyway. Right. So, um, we all, we all take our, our, our paths and sometimes they're a little bit different. I yeah. would, if, if I had to give that advice to somebody else, I'd be a, Hey, look, I got off the path or at least I felt like I got a little off the path. I got some great things from it. Right. I have this, I joked about her, but I have this amazing wife who I wouldn't trade for anybody in the world. Three great kids. <clears throat> um, wouldn't have her if I hadn't got off the path. Right. Mm -hmm. And I got back on the path that I needed to be for my career. So don't let one or two setbacks or something you made a mistake, let you think you can't, um, you can't get to where you want to be. Yeah. And I guess just to close off COVID-19 is really restricting the accessibility to activities and just things to do travel in this very, very troubling time. So in a hypothetical ideal world, say COVID is no longer an issue. What is the first thing that Paul would do? Wow. So I'm pretty confident we'd take a Disney cruise. Oh yeah? Yeah. Why cruise? Uh, 
I don't think it matters just any of them. <laughs> <clears throat> right? Because uh, we did it before and it was uh, the best experience with the kids, right? Because mm-hmm. it was just um, my kids enjoyed it so much. Like the family just, it was one of the best vacations we've ever had as a family. Yeah. And I, I relish those because I feel like I'll remember those the rest of my life. Um, and as a geek, um, I was heartbroken this year. This should tell you how geeky I am. I play a lot of board games and RPGs and I'm, I went to, uh, I would go to Gen Con every year and this year it we didn't canceled. have it. <laughs> got canceled. They had virtual only, but it's not the same, right? This kind of interaction we're having is, is great, but it's not the same. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah, that COVID was over today, Disney Cruise, and then I, uh, I, you know, I'd redo Gen Con. If I they need to get Gen Con on the Disney Cruise. That's that's what needs. That to That would be it, right? Although my wife, because <laughs> uh, she's like, I don't do games. Me and the kids, <laughs> so me and the kids go every year, but we go as a family, right? The, the yeah. three kids go with me. They all play different games, and I will say, my daughter who makes me play some of the unicorn games and stuff. Like uh, I'm looking at one right now that's on the shelf, Sparkle Kitty. Probably a little out of dad's uh, realm, but the fact that I get to play something with my daughter, right? Like, I can't that's awesome. That's memories, a dream. Right? Like, and she loves anime, and I'm not a big fan of it, but I go do the anime stuff with her, right? Because it's what she loves. Really? Her, right? Yeah, and my oldest likes the LARP, right? Um, uh-huh. If you know you know what that is, live action, live action role play. Yeah, he, he doesn't really dress up, but he does, you know, they beat each other with foam swords. And, um, the youngest will just do whatever seems fun, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, pretty geeky, right? Like I don't, I don't know what else to tell you there. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for taking the time out of your day to hop on this podcast and just tell us a bit about you and your story. I'm sure that not only myself but everyone listening has definitely taken a lot from all of your experiences. So yeah, overall, just really grateful for your time. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. That concludes my conversation with Paul Beltzell, Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Salesforce. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to keep an eye out for the next one where I'll be interviewing Bill Manning, President of the Toronto FC. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to take care of yourself today. And if you can, someone else as well.